Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I work here at Cathedral of the Rockies with Pastor Ben Kramer. And just as a reminder, you can always check out our church, Cathedral of the Rockies, on our website and on our social media platforms. There you can see what is going on in the life of our church and even connect with us online. Links are in the show notes where you can check us out. And with that, enjoy today's sermon. My friends, we're going to light the Advent wreath this morning. Um, As I said at the beginning of service, we've gone through the season lighting a candle to commemorate our focus for the week. And this week we're focusing on on love. Um, the, The longer I follow Jesus, the more I realize that my goal in following Jesus is to deepen my love. I want to grow deeper and more capable of love than I was the day before. That's my intention in following Jesus. Love of God, love of others, and love of myself. Those three things we, we can constantly struggle over. How to show love deeper to God, to others, and even ourselves at times. When a person doesn't love themselves well, how are they gonna love other people well, right? Sometimes the, the most hateful people in the world are those who are revealing that they really loathe themselves too, right? And so us who follow Jesus, our desire is to grow deeper in that love, love for God, love for others, and love for ourselves, and that's what we're going to focus on today. The word Advent comes from the ancient Latin phrase meaning until the coming. It is a period of spiritual preparation in which many Christians make themselves ready for the coming of the Christ child. Each Sunday leading up to the celebration of the birth of Jesus, we make room, this Sunday we make room for love. When the world is frightening and we desire to escape from the ongoing hatred, the womb of creation invites us to remember a love within. It is the love within us that leads to the transformation of the conditions around us. Emmanuel means God with us, and it is the embodiment of God with us that we see in Christ. As the song we just sang said so well, Jesus is God's love song to us. Amen. My friends, we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew today, and as I said at the beginning of service, the sermon is um, looking at this question of making room for questions. How do we make room for questions, our questions and the questions of others? I don't know what your experience has been with religion, but a big part of mine is uh, experiencing from leaders and others that we don't really like people who ask questions. (laughs) And guess what? That's in the Bible too. These people who were called prophets asked a lot of questions. And do you see how they were treated? (laughs) Right? And so we we kind of have this resistance, even even myself, to questions, because what what does a question kind of insinuate? Something needs to change, right? 
And we all know how much we love to change, right? We are just experts at changing just like that. But when we, when we are the ones asking the question, we can understand what needs to be changed and what answer might need to come for that change to happen. But when we're receiving the question, it can feel like a challenge, right? Especially the, that younger generation. How dare they ask the questions they're asking, right? I don't know if you've noticed, but we're asking a lot of questions in our world, in our culture more broadly. What does it mean to be the church? That's a huge one. What does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to do church the way that we do church? And you know what one of the, one of the worst things that the church has often said? Let's give a, a now funny example. It was very serious that they actually imprisoned people and did all sorts of things over this question. What if the earth is not the center of the universe? We chained people up for that <laughs> as the church. What if the earth is not the center of the universe? That means we would have to change our understanding of how the universe works, change our understanding, our theology, so many things and how the world worked back then. We were challenged by that question. One of the worst things the church has said throughout our 2,000-year history is, we've always done it that way. That's the way we've always done it. Why on earth would you ever want to change the way we've always done things? I have to tell you, um, I don't know, for those of you who um, have gotten married, that doesn't change anything <laughs> at all. Let me tell you Ben post-marriage. Ben post-marriage loved to get up at 5 a.m., make his coffee from the Ethiopia region, and my pour over and my book. And I would spend, because I'm a reader, right? And I couldn't find any time except for that 5.30 to 6, 6 a.m. time to get my reading in, right? Then this person named Rebecca came along and said, what if you spent that time at the gym? Because <laughs> I was complaining about things. And Rebecca had to put up with a lot of the things like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable. I, like, I was on the verge of sleep apnea, right? I was, I was 245, almost 250 pounds, but I had my coffee in my book, and I was happy, right? Happy. But I was sitting there uncomfortable. It was getting harder and harder for me to breathe at night. I was feeling so uncomfortable. And so Rebecca just came along and said, what if you change something? <laughs> now Ben, post-marriage, gets up at 5.30 in the morning and hits the gym for an hour. I hated that. I fought her on that. We've been, we will have been married three years um, this next February. I fought her so hard on that. I, I held out for, you should be proud of me, I held out for a long time. <laughs> Didn't work. And she was getting up at 4.30 to go to the gym pregnant with Foster. I'm like, I don't have any excuse, right? So I started to go and do that. And now looking back, having lost 33 pounds, feeling like my mental health is in better condition, I'm thankful for a person she didn't push. She didn't, she didn't get all authoritarian on me. She just said, what if you did this? 
what if you changed this, right? And, and that's what's convinced me about the power of asking the right question. Sometimes we are really offended by people's questions because it's like, why on earth would you ever ask that question? It comes from such a stupid place. <laughs> Instead of really hearing that that's really the genuine place that they're coming from. And you don't know what you don't know. So as we listen to John the Baptist, have you heard of him before? As we listen to John the Baptist asking a question of Jesus, we need to put ourselves in his shoes to understand the vulnerability it took to ask what he's about to ask Jesus so that we can approach people in the same humility that Christ responds to him. Listen to this passage from Matthew 11, 2 through 11. Now, when John heard in prison about these things that Christ was doing, he sent word by his disciples to Jesus asking, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? <laughs> Jesus responded, go report to John that you hear and see. Those who are blind are able to see. And those who are crippled are walking. People with skin diseases are cleansed. Those who are deaf now hear. Those who are dead are raised up. The poor have good news proclaimed to them. And happy are those who don't stumble and fall because of me. When John's disciples had gone, Jesus spoke to the crowds about John what did you go out to the wilderness to see? A stalk blowing in the wind? First century equivalent of a wind sock. <laughs> did you want to come see a wind sock that was blown to and fro by everything that came and met them? What did you go out to see? A man dressed up in refined clothes? Look, those who wear refined clothes are in royal palaces. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, he is the one of whom is written, look, I am sending my messenger before you who will prepare your way before you. I assure you that no one who has ever been born is greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than even he. The written word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My friends, I can't imagine how John the Baptist must have felt. Why was he in prison? Questioning the king. <laughs> For good reason. <laughs> king Herod had fallen in love with his brother's wife <laughs> and was trying to plot a way for them to be together. John the Baptist, this camel hair wearing, locust eating, honey drinking, prophet in the wilderness, <laughs> questioned the king and was in prison, probably facing the death penalty for what he had done. Having his whole life surrounded by prophecy since he was born, I can't imagine the pressure, the social pressure that it would take to be John the Baptist, whose mom got a visit from an angel to say, this is your lot in life. <laughs> His whole life since birth was surrounded by prophecy of who he was sent to be as a messenger in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, the one speaking truth to those in power. Only to have that ministry land him in prison for calling out King Herod's inappropriate relationship. 
Like any of us, I imagine he wondered if he had done the right things. I would have. I imagine his and his circumstances of the world around him made him second guess everything. I imagine he questioned if God really was sending the Lord in his lifetime or if everything that he had learned was wrong. I imagine he questioned if Jesus really was the one and all the world was waiting for him or for someone else. With his fate most likely ending in death, I imagine his heart was filled with fear of what was going to happen and fear of the unknown. Imagine he was looking for any sign to hold on to what he believed. I think this is the circumstance where his question came from. The one he sent his own disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? A place of vulnerability and wondering. And how, how many of us have been there in our lives when literally everything is falling apart? <laughs> and we feel more like Job than the Psalms of praise and say, what is going on? <laughs> is there a God? Did Jesus really come or have I put my trust in someone in vain? And if we haven't been honestly asking those questions, do we really have a faith worth having? <laughs> In other words, can you tell me for sure? Can you just give me some sign that you're the one we've all been waiting for? Just a little proof, John the Baptist is asking. Such an evocative and powerful question when we think about it because we remember who John the Baptist is. Just bring a little profile for you this morning. John the Baptist is the one standing in the river Jordan as the heavens opened up and God's spirit descended on Christ like a dove saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is John the Baptist who encouraged his own disciples to follow Jesus instead of him because of how much he believed in Jesus. <laughs> I was had these uh, scripture references of what I'm saying right there. And this is John the Baptist who Jesus says in our passage today that he isn't just some reed blowing in the wind, easily swayed, or someone with refined clothes, wealthy, royal, and powerful elite. No, he was a prophet sent from God, the one Isaiah foretold. So my friends, it says a lot that John the Baptist would now be asking this essential, fundamental question. Are you the one, Jesus? Saw heaven ripped open and heard God's voice. Still asking, are you the one? My friends, I think it says a lot about the vulnerability of facing the unknown, especially the unknown of death, that John asked this question I think it says a lot about how many Christians I have heard shaming others for simply questioning their faith, especially in times of crisis. People who shame others for questioning Jesus, questioning God, questioning the Bible in the midst of their own vulnerable situations of pain. And instead of being met with compassion and grace, they are met with shame and judgment. 
John the Baptist saw things in the flesh, saw Jesus with his own eyes, and still asked this question. You're allowed to do the same. (laughs) His disciples saw him every day for three years, (laughs) and they still didn't get it. A lot of them still didn't get it. That's why I call them the disciples. Because we are often the disciples too, right? We follow Jesus for so long and sometimes we still just don't understand. Peter, his closest confidant, his greatest defender, was even willing to pull out a sword to defend him, denied him when it came to the moment that mattered most. (laughs) Friends, the disciples are not the standard by which the Bible gives us to be. The disciples are the authentic, raw picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. John the Baptist gives us a picture of what it means to have raw, vulnerable moments. Even in spite of everything that we've seen and experienced, we still have those moments of deep questions. Is this real? And if we're not consistently asking that question, our faith can grow dull and shallow. We can get preoccupied on really superficial things. Yet here we have John the Baptist doing that very thing. John the Baptist is questioning if Jesus really is the Messiah, the one who came to save. He is questioning if he had put his faith in the right path. I imagine if we as the church understood how many prominent people in the Bible question Jesus and their faith, like John the Baptist here, we would handle questions with a lot more compassion and grace. Jesus entered his own time, his own religion of Judaism, where religion had become a tool to oppress and control people. Their whole mantra, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were saying, this is the way we've always done things. And in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, do you know what he says to that? You have heard it said. But I tell you, you have heard it said. (laughs) But I tell you, taking what God had said in the past and how it's been interpreted up to this point and saying, let's get back to the heart of what God intended behind these things. Not abandoning the past, but bringing it into the context of the here and now. Because friends, if we're always just saying, this is the way we've always done things, that means that we're operating in the 1980s and not 2023. That means we're holding on to something that worked really well in the 50s, but it's not the 50s anymore. If we have a faith that, that is only stuck in a certain time period, we're not going to move forward. We are going to decay and be, or worse, become a system that doubles down on the things we think are true and yet are outdated and false. And even Jesus is coming along saying, you have heard it said this way, but I'm telling you right now, Urgently, we need to look at these things differently. The faith tradition I was raised in, I have, I have come to the conclusion that fundamentalism, that not even Jesus, if he showed up <laughs> and said, you should probably change this, would be listened to, right? Remember that old Irish parable I told you where the saint died 
entered into the gates of heaven, but God sent him back, came out of the tomb, and all of his friends, uh, other saints were around him like, you came back from the dead. Did you learn something? And he's like, I had so much time with God. It felt like an entire lifetime. And I learned how much of what we believe isn't really rooted in truth. And they just nodded at him and put him back in the tomb and sealed it back up. (laughs) That's so often how we function with our faith. We have so little room for questions and change (laughs) that we have really messy periods in history of someone coming up and nailing 99, 95 reasons why the church needs to change and sparks an entire war over it because you're selling pieces of paper to get people out of purgatory and saying that that's part of your Christian faith. Of course, we Protestants have done really well since then. We've kept one church since then, right? There's 200 sects of Christianity in the United States alone. But we Methodists, we've got it, right? At least we had the truth. It took 2,000 years, but we Methodists have arrived, right? No, that's not the point. (laughs) The point is to continue to follow this Jesus who comforts the disturbed and disturbs the comfortable who consistently asks us, you're holding on to these beliefs, wonderful, you're certain. How does it help poor? Is it helping the poor now? Is it helping those who can't walk, walk? Is it helping those who are so vulnerable feel safe and protected? Because as we hear that Jesus didn't respond to John's question with condemnation or shame, John was looking for signs, some proof that Jesus was the one the whole world was waiting for. So what did Jesus do? Gave John proof. (laughs) Jesus said to John's disciples, go report back and tell him what you see and what you hear. Those who are blind are able to see. Those who are crippled are able to walk. People with skin diseases are being cleansed. Those who were deaf now hear. Those who were dead are now raised. The poor have good news proclaimed to them. And then he said, blessed are those who do not stumble and fall because of me. In other words, that last line, blessed are those who don't stumble because I wasn't the kind of Messiah they were expecting. <laughs> Peter stumbled, if you remember that part in the ministry. Jesus says, I'm, he predicts his crucifixion, right? And what does Jesus, what does Peter say? In the strongest possible terms in the Greek, Peter rebukes Jesus, who he just called the son of God. He's now rebuking him because he's not the military Messiah he thought he was going to be to overthrow Rome. That's what it means to hold on a picture of Jesus rather than worshiping actual Jesus. (laughs) And if we don't hold on to this faith that allows questions, we may make the picture of Jesus our idol rather than following after the living presence of Christ here and now, right? So blessed are those who don't stumble on account of me, who follow after a Messiah they prefer rather than the Messiah Jesus came to be. I absolutely love this passage if you haven't been able to tell in my passion of preaching this, but it gives such a clear picture of the kind of Messiah Jesus came to be. 
Jesus is saying here, are you looking for signs that I am the Messiah, that I am about the kingdom of God? Here are the signs you should be looking for even now. Just like in his first sermon in the, in the gospel of Luke, he says, report back that you see and hear. Good news is brought to the poor. People are healed. The oppressed are liberated. The captives are set free and the dead are being raised. These are the signs of Jesus in the world, even here and now. And despite what you may have heard, these aren't just spiritual signs. Like people aren't just spiritually healed or spiritually liberated or spiritually saved. No, this is also spiritual, physical, social, economic, and political redemption too. James, his brother, which I think knew Jesus pretty well, said this in his book in the Bible. If you say peace, go be in comfort, be warm at night, and do nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? <laughs> what good is it? Following the Messiah brings about change in the world, especially for the most vulnerable. This is the kind of Messiah, the kind of Savior Jesus came to be in the world. So wherever you see this happening, whether they are following, claiming to follow Jesus or not, if the poor have good news brought to them, that is a sign of Jesus at work. Do you believe that Jesus can work among those who don't believe in him? I sure hope so, because <laughs> that's a big picture of Jesus, right? Did he work with people who didn't believe with him in the Bible? You betcha. <laughs> Thanks be to God. <laughs> In our world, there is so much division, hostility, and fear, and I think John the Baptist's question is something that we still need to ask today, even if we don't want to admit it. <laughs> Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? What are the signs we are to look for in our world that you're actually at work? My friends, when we find ourselves vulnerable and fearful, what can we hold on to to give us hope peace, joy, and love. It's not very often that Jesus gives us clear answers to such deep and existential questions rather than a parable, but I think he does so here. We plainly see what the signs of Christ are in Christ's words here. But we can't miss what he says right before this. He says, report what you hear and see. What are we hearing and seeing right now? In our world of news and social media, I can often catch myself doing what's called doom scrolling, where I just jump from one tragic news story or one angry post after another and become really sorrowful and downhearted about the state of the world. Anyone else can get into that loop of feeling really hopeless about the future. And before I know it, I catch myself spiraling into an existential aches, wondering if Jesus is really at work and if things will really ever change. Wondering where the signs of love are in this world and wondering if what I am doing as a Christian even matters at all. Then I remember that I have to actually look and listen for the signs of love around me. <laughs> Do you know this? Really important. The algorithms on social media and the internet are not going to naturally give you good news. The algorithms are not set up that way. The old newspaper adage still holds true. If it bleeds, it leads. You have to look for good news. So don't let algorithms convince you that good news isn't happening. 
or that there are powerful forces working for good in this world, because there are. When I am intentional about looking for signs of love at work in the world, I begin to see them all the time. I think we often think of the signs of Jesus as really big and flashy ways, but like loaves being multiplied and fishes being multiplied or water being turned into wine kind of ways. But I have seen them more in the subtle, everyday, ordinary ways that Jesus talks about here. I've seen signs of love in the kindness of strangers. Seen the signs of love when friends are brought out of oppressive, abusive situations and restored into loving communities. I've seen signs of love when friends had questions about their theology or their politics and they were met with compassion rather than control. I've seen signs of love when friends experienced recovery from sickness. I've seen signs of love when the younger generation asked the older generation about why the church does what it does is met with, how do you feel like it should change? Rather than, it's the way we've always done things. I've seen signs of love when friends experience good news in desperate financial situations. I've seen signs of love where new life is brought to people in places that thought that there was no life left to be had. I've seen signs of love when there's a ceasefire rather than a war. There are signs of love everywhere. We just have to look for them. Jesus says quite a radical statement here at the very end of our passage. I assure you that no one has ever been born is greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is most vulnerable in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This means two things, my friends, in closing. First, this means if someone incredible like John the Baptist can doubt their faith and have big questions, that means you can too. This also means that the admiration and the greatness we should have for someone like John the Baptist should be given even more to the most vulnerable in our world. <laughs> Whenever they are honored, dignified, and restored, there is the work of Jesus. There is the work of the kingdom of heaven at work. There is the sign of God's love. Well, my friends, here's a couple of reflection steps I want you to be thinking about as we prepare for Christmas Eve of this coming week. What questions make you uncomfortable? Because I think it says something about where we're at when certain questions make us uncomfortable. And again, I think it comes down to what we don't want to change, right? And somebody can even ask such an innocent question and it makes us uncomfortable. I want you to pause for a moment Notice why, and write down some ideas. Okay, I experienced discomfort at that question. Why? Because it'll tell you something about yourself if you do. The next uh, reflection step would be, how do you want others to respond to your questions? Right? I think that's an important one to ask too, because how you want other people to respond to your questions is how you should be responding to other people's questions, right? And it should be how much grace you have with your own questions, too. If you don't allow yourself to ask these vulnerable questions, what does that mean about your relationship with yourself? Maybe some more grace needs to come into play. And what about God? How do you want God to hear your questions? <laughs> do you see God as one that's far off and unwilling to hear you? Or do you see God like Jesus, who's willing to respond to your questions in compassion and kindness? And lastly, how are you looking for the signs of love in the world? 
right? Don't let those algorithms control your perspective of the world around you. Look, be intentional about it. It's so easy to wake up in the morning, the first thing is you're on that device, right? I and the chief of sinners with that. <laughs> first thing I do is look on the screen. And I've really been trying to break that habit because what shapes your perspective in the morning will shape your perspective for the rest of the day. So look for signs of love. Where can you look for good news? Where can you look for the signs of Jesus? Thanks for listening today. Here at Cathedral of the Rockies, our motto is all means all, and we strive to truly live this out. You can help be a part of this by giving to us online. Here at the Amity campus specifically, we feed the hungry through our very active food pantry. Also, we are building up our children and youth programs so that we can serve all families in our area, and then also provide safe spaces for them to just be themselves. All means all. Any amount given is an investment that allows us to continue to serve those who join us in person and online and serve the growing neighborhoods around our church building. There is a link in the show notes where you can give online. Thanks again for joining us today and have a great rest of your day.